Welcome to the ParkCast series, episode 59, Maltreatment and Child Welfare Involvement of Children with Disabilities. The ParkCast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This ParkCast reviews the literature on the maltreatment of children with disabilities, including prevalence estimates, factors associated with maltreatment, and child welfare service responses. Introduction. Children with disabilities have diverse conditions including illnesses or injuries related to their physical, developmental, mental, or emotional behavioral health. These conditions interfere with children's abilities to perform everyday tasks, including their mobility or activity level. According to the 2006 Participation in Action Limitation Survey, PALS, which is Canada's National Survey on Disabilities, 3.7% of Canadian children aged 0 to 14 had one or more types of disability. Disabilities were reported more frequently for boys compared to girls, with 4.6% of boys having a disability compared to 2.7% of girls. Older children were also more likely to have an identified disability. Children aged 4 years or younger had a disability rate of about 1.7%. Children aged 5 to 9 had a disability rate of 4.2%, and children aged 10 to 14 had a disability rate of 4.9%. Although they make up a small percentage of the overall population, children with disabilities require special attention as they are vulnerable in a variety of ways. This vulnerability can be due to limitations inherent to the children's conditions and or due to the countless societal barriers experienced by individuals with disabilities. Significant variation exists in how governments, community agencies, and different researchers define disabilities, and there is often overlap between different categories of disability. For example, many physical disabilities can also involve a developmental component, like cerebral palsy, and many children with developmental disabilities also have mental health issues. While recognizing this overlap, the following research review will categorize disabilities into three broad types. One, Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities, IDDs. These are characterized by limitations in an individual's cognitive abilities and or adaptive behaviors, which are functional life skills. IDDs appear early in life and can include specific conditions like Down syndrome or autism spectrum disorder. 2. Mental Health or Behavioral Disabilities. These are characterized by difficulties with behavioral conduct, mental health, and or emotion regulation. Examples include Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADD, ADHD, Anxiety Disorders, Depression, or Oppositional Defiance Disorder, ODD. 3. Physical or Other Disabilities. This describes children whose mobility or agility is limited by a long-term condition, as well as children who have sensory disabilities, like children who are deaf, blind, or hearing impaired, and children who have chronic health issues that significantly limit their ability to perform everyday tasks. Research questions. The following three research questions were formulated to guide the remainder of this review. One, how common is maltreatment among children with disabilities? Two, which factors differentiate maltreated children with disabilities from other children? Three, how does the child welfare system respond to cases that involve children with disabilities? Question one. 
How common is maltreatment among children with disabilities? FAQs. Are children with disabilities more or less likely to experience maltreatment than their peers? Are there certain diagnoses or disabilities that are more at risk for maltreatment than others? Methods matter. This is an occurrence question, which looks at how often a condition or phenomenon occurs. Longitudinal studies and cross-sectional research designs can answer these questions. Longitudinal studies determine patterns by following people over time, whereas cross-sectional studies, such as surveys, provide a snapshot at one point in time. When looking at occurrence, the terms prevalence and incidence are used often in the literature. These are both terms of occurrence, but they are not interchangeable. Prevalence looks at the proportion of a population affected by a phenomenon, that is, how common something is within a population. Incidence, however, is the proportion of new cases in a given time period, or in other words, the rate of something happening over time. Studies presented in this review are described with language that denotes whether the study shows prevalence or incidence rates. Studies consistently find that children with disabilities have an increased risk of experiencing violence and maltreatment and are overrepresented in child welfare investigations. A systematic review and meta-analysis by Jones and colleagues in 2012 combined data from 16 studies published between 1990 and 2012 from several countries about the abuse and neglect of children with disabilities. The study results indicated that, for every category of maltreatment, children with disabilities were more likely to experience maltreatment than their peers. The pooled maltreatment prevalence rate was 26.7%, meaning that approximately 1 in 4 children with disabilities experienced some form of maltreatment. However, prevalence estimates between studies ranged from 5% all the way to 68%, based on the types of maltreatment studied, the definition and measurement of disability used in the study, and the sample. In terms of risk, children with disabilities were between 2.9 and 4.6 times more likely to experience maltreatment than other children, depending on the form of maltreatment and the types of disability. In Canada, findings from the Canadian Incident Study of Reported Child Abuse and Neglect, CIS, provide insight into maltreatment investigations involving children with disabilities. This nationwide initiative has collected data on the incidence of reported child maltreatment and the characteristics of the families and children involved in the child welfare system every five years since 1998. An analysis of the 2008 cycle of the CIS demonstrated that 1 in 10 maltreatment-related investigations that were opened during the study period involved a child with a developmental and or physical disability. This finding is a higher rate than the national prevalence of children in Canada who have disabilities. Specifically, 10.3% of cases in the CIS involved a child with disability, compared to 3.7% as a national prevalence rate of disability. Maltreatment occurrence by disability type. Intellectual and developmental disabilities. In both Canadian and international research, Children with intellectual and developmental disabilities, IDDs, make up the vast majority of the maltreatment cases that involve children with disabilities. Within the CIS 2008, while 10.3% of maltreatment investigations involve children with a disability of any sort, more than 90% of those noted cases, or 9.5% of total investigations, involved a child with an intellectual or developmental disability. When looking at substantiated maltreatment in particular, 
intellectual disability was noted in more than 11.3% of investigations that involved children aged 0 to 14. More specifically, 16.2% of substantiated neglect cases involved a child with IDD, as did 11.9% of substantiated sexual abuse cases, 12.8% of physical abuse cases, 16.4% of emotional abuse cases, and 7.5% of cases that involved exposure to intimate partner violence. Studies conducted in specific Canadian provinces and in other prevalent studies have found similar or higher rates of IDDs within maltreatment investigations. These rates of child welfare involvement are higher than what would be expected based on the proportion of children who have an intellectual and developmental disability in the overall population. In Canada, between 1 and 3% of children have a developmental disability. Several studies have focused on the risks of maltreatment for children with specific developmental disabilities, including autism spectrum disorder, Down syndrome, and congenital birth effects. One large-scale population-based study in the USA found that although children with either autism spectrum disorder or an intellectual disability had higher risks for maltreatment than their peers without those disabilities, children with both autism and an intellectual disability had the highest risks. After controlling for relevant demographic factors, these children were roughly two times as likely to have reported and substantiated maltreatment as their peers. Further, approximately one in three children in the state who had both autism spectrum disorder and an intellectual disability were referred to child welfare services at some point in their life. When defined more broadly, the rate of IDDs within child welfare may be higher. For example, almost one quarter of the children involved in the 2013 Ontario Incident Study experienced academic difficulties. Behavioral and mental health disabilities. Children with mental health and or behavioral disabilities also experience significantly higher than expected rates of maltreatment. However, since there is a high level of comorbidity between developmental and mental health disabilities, research cannot always disentangle the risks unique to children with behavioral disabilities from those related to children with developmental disabilities. Within Canada, Two studies related to maltreatment risks for children with behavioral disabilities have found that children involved in the child welfare services are diagnosed and treated for ADHD at higher rates than the general population. Exact rates, however, are difficult to determine, as many potentially overlapping disabilities fall under the category of mental health and behavioral disabilities. Physical and other disabilities Compared to research on the risks of maltreatment to children with other types of disabilities, research on the risks to children who have physical disabilities is lacking. Within the CIS 2008 study, physical disability was noted in 1.6% of the children's files. Approximately half of these cases, or 0.9% of total investigations, involve children with both physical and developmental disabilities. However, since the Canadian Disability Study defines and categorizes physical disabilities differently from the CIS, it is difficult to assess whether these rates are representative of the overall population prevalence. Although more focused on peer violence as opposed to maltreatment from adults or caregivers, one systematic review and meta-analysis found that children with chronic health conditions and or physical disabilities were approximately 1.7 times as likely to experience bullying or victimization than their peers. Maltreatment Occurrence of Indigenous Children with Disabilities Although the research on Indigenous children with disabilities is limited, a few studies have explored the occurrence of maltreatment for these children. Early studies have found that Indigenous children with disabilities are involved at high rates in the child welfare system, 
though not necessarily higher than Indigenous children without disabilities. In Manitoba, 69% of the children with disabilities who were living in out-of-home care were identified as Indigenous, which is roughly equivalent to the overall provincial representation of Indigenous children living in care. As a note, the research literature tends to refer to Indigenous peoples, including First Nations and other groups, as Aboriginal. Directionality and other research limitations. There are a few key limitations for the research presented above. One important consideration is the issue of directionality. Given the developmental nature of many disabilities, a disability may increase the child's risks of, of experiencing maltreatment, but it is also true that a child may present with a disability as a result of maltreatment. Since much of the research on occurrence is cross-sectional, that is, surveys or assessments conducted at one point in time, it is not always possible for large-scale research or population-based studies to differentiate whether disability or maltreatment occurred first. Research with a longitudinal design would be needed to provide an answer for this. Another consideration is that the Canadian Incident Study, CIS, and other Canadian Provincial Incident Studies rely on worker reports, which are based on the information available to workers about their respective cases at the time of the study's data collection. Disabilities may be undisclosed to workers and or misreported for a variety of reasons. There may also be inconsistencies between workers in their understandings or categorizations of different disabilities. Thinking critically. Consider that occurrence research is based on reported incidences of maltreatment only. Why might this matter? Who do you think would be most or least likely to have their maltreatment reported? Question two, which factors differentiate maltreated children with disabilities from other children? FAQs, what makes cases involving children with disabilities unique? Methods matter. This is an association question. It examines the relationships between two or more factors. Correlational studies, randomized control trials, or RCTs, and systematic reviews are best suited to answer this type of question. Apart from their primary identified disabilities, several child characteristics, caregiver or family factors, and or circumstances surrounding the child's maltreatment differentiate children with disabilities from other children who have experienced maltreatment. Child characteristics, family factors, and maltreatment circumstances. Across studies, boys tend to make up a higher proportion of cases involving children with disabilities than girls do and maltreatment cases involving children with disabilities also tend to be older than cases that do not involve children with disabilities. This finding is expected, based on the data from the 2006 Participation and Activity Limitation Survey, Canada's National Disability Survey, which identified that boys were more likely to have disabilities of all types than girls, and were more likely to be older than children without disabilities. Of the caregiver or family factors that were associated with maltreatment of children with disabilities, Bogosian, McCullough, and Fallon in 2014 found that within the CIS 2008, caregivers of children identified as having a disability were more likely than other child welfare-involved parents to have the following risk factors. Drug abuse, cognitive impairment, mental health and or physical health issues, few social supports, and a history of foster care or group home. In terms of maltreatment concerns, children with disabilities have been found to experience higher-than-expected rates of referrals for all categories of maltreatment, 
with referrals for neglect being the most common. Neglect, however, is the most common referral reason for children regardless of whether they have disabilities or not. Children with disabilities were also more likely to be referred to child welfare services for more prolonged maltreatment and less likely to be referred for a single episode of maltreatment than cases that did not involve children with disabilities. Thinking critically. Consider factors beyond those at the child and caregiver level and the various roles that these factors might play in the maltreatment of children with disabilities. How might societal or cultural views of disability affect the risks? What about the availability of community services to support children and their parents? Associated child, family, and maltreatment factors by disability type. Children with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Several researchers have identified characteristics that differentiated cases involving children with intellectual and developmental disabilities from other child welfare cases. Within the CIS 2008, for example, children with IDD were more likely to also have ADD or ADHD than other children, have attachment issues, aggressive behaviors, inappropriate sexualized behaviors, and have a dis physical disability. Further, every child with an IDD had at least one functioning issue in addition to their intellectual disability status recorded within the CIS. Caregiver characteristics have varied across studies, but caregivers of children with developmental disabilities typically have had more complex functioning issues than other child welfare-involved families. In the CIS 2008, caregivers of children with IDD were less likely to have employment as their source of income, less likely to have adequate social supports, and slightly more likely to have an intellectual disability themselves. As with other cases, children with developmental disabilities are, were most likely to be referred to child welfare services for concerns of neglect. Specific to children with IDD, however, appears to be a particularly high risk of experiencing sexual abuse and emotional abuse. Several studies have found that children with IDD were reported more frequently for sexual abuse and emotional abuse than were children without these disabilities. Cases involving children with IDD are also more likely to have multiple referral reasons, as opposed to a single referral reason, and to remain open and be transferred to ongoing services after their initial investigation. Indigenous children with IDD have also been found to have similar but not identical characteristics to other maltreated children with IDD. Within the CIS 1998, Indigenous children with IDD were more likely to have substance abuse-related birth effects, psychiatric or mental health disorders, and to engage in self-harm, have irregular school attendance, and have a physical disability than the ch Indigenous children without developmental disabilities. Caregivers of children with IDD were more likely to have a cognitive impairment including a developmental disability themselves, as well as to have mental health concerns and personal histories of childhood maltreatment. Thinking critically. Consider the broader impact of these issues. How might families' marginalization and previous histories of trauma contribute to this issue? Children with mental health and behavioral disabilities, physical and other disabilities. Compared to the research about maltreatment of children with IDD, less is known about maltreatment of children with other disabilities. One Canadian study, however, used administrative data from Manitoba and found that the likelihood of children in out-of-home care having a diagnosis of ADD or ADHD was approximately three times as high as other children who were not in out-of-home care. 
Question three. How does the child welfare system respond to cases that involve children with disabilities? FAQs. What makes child welfare investigations that involve children with disabilities different from cases that do not? How does the child welfare system respond to cases of children with disabilities? Methods matter. This is an association question, which examines the relationship between factors. In this case, the relationships between childhood disability and child welfare services. The methodologies most appropriate for this question are correlational studies, RCTs, and systematic reviews. Despite the abundance of research showing risks of maltreatment for children with disabilities, less is known about how the child welfare system responds to these cases. Worker level responses. Early research suggests that child welfare workers may respond differently when cases involve children with disabilities. Manders and Stoneman in 2009 found that when they gave child welfare workers written case vignettes of suspected maltreatment scenarios that involved children with and without disabilities, workers responded differently to the scenarios that involved children with disabilities. In these vignettes, situations where children had moderate or severe physical injuries were described, and children were identified as either having an intellectual disability, having cerebral palsy, an emotional behavioral disability, or no disability. Results showed that children with disabilities were more likely than other children to be perceived as having characteristics that contributed to their abuse. Empathy towards the parents was also higher for parents of children with disabilities, and highest of all groups for parents of children with behavioral disabilities. In this study, service recommendations for families also differed based on whether the child had a disability or not. For families of children with disabilities, recommendations were most likely to be child-focused, that is, child support services, child counseling, etc. On the other hand, parent-focused services, like individual counseling for parents or adult anger management, were more likely to be recommended for families of children without disabilities. Organization and system-level responses. Research is largely lacking on how organizations and child welfare service systems respond to cases that involve children with disabilities. In one study, child welfare leaders identified their key priorities for service delivery in this area to be training of workers and collaborating with disability service providers. When directors of child welfare agencies across counties in one U.S. state were surveyed about their practices regarding families of children with disabilities, only 6.7% of the counties had specific policies in place for working with these families. The approaches that agencies most often described using included both formal and informal case management approaches, as well as collaborations within their organization and with outside consultants, and broader training system and practice approaches. Practice considerations. Children with disabilities present unique challenges to the child welfare system in terms of assessment and ongoing service provision. Collaboration between the disability fields and the child welfare sector is generally limited, and, when surveyed, child welfare workers have reported feeling that they lacked the training to investigate allegations involving children with disabilities. The following considerations have been presented in the research literature as recommendations for clinicians and child welfare professionals who work with children with disabilities. Seek or involve specialized expertise. Collaborate with other professionals who have specific expertise with disabilities and with child development. If in-house expertise is not available, engage in interagency collaborations. 
Engage the children's families as experts. People who know the child well may have valuable knowledge, particularly in cases of children with severe and or complex disabilities. Children may also be receiving support from other community service providers. Collaborate with these providers who may be able to provide insight into the child's abilities and or strategies to effectively engage the child. Adapt assessment and interview procedures. Specifically for children with IDD, the following adaptations can be implemented to allow for differences in children's abilities for information processing, recall, attention, etc. Ask open-ended questions. Children with intellectual disabilities are typically more suggestible than other children. Close-ended questions, like yes-no questions, can encourage biased responses. Use concrete and concise language. Allow extra time for children to respond. Make use of nonverbal interviewing techniques. For example, ask the child to draw or use visuals when you're communicating with the child. Keep interviews and discussions short. Use multiple sessions and allow breaks in between. For children who use sign language or otherwise require interpretation, ensure that objective interpretation is made available. Specifically, ensure that the person interpreting for the child is not the alleged perpetrator of maltreatment. This is so that anything the child communicates is interpreted accurately and that the child feels safe to communicate openly. Provide support to avoid victimization and re-victimization. Increase the awareness of people caring for the child as to the heightened risks of this group. In a sensitive way, educate parents on their child's disability to increase their understanding and create more appropriate expectations of their child's behavior and or skills. Teach children about appropriate boundaries and physical safety to avoid victimization. Children with intellectual disabilities in particular may have a poorer sense of personal safety and or lower knowledge of physical and sexual health, and this may increase their vulnerability to abuse. Provide referrals for families to access respite and other support services. Support the family in advocacy efforts to access necessary supports and resources. Incorporate critical thinking. Consider the findings of Manders and Stoneman that workers may have different emotional reactions, assessments of risk, and or service recommendations towards cases involving children with disabilities compared to other cases. When faced with a situation of suspected maltreatment of a child with disabilities, reflect on any emotional reactions and identify any potential cognitive biases at play. Consider intersectionality. As with other child welfare cases, considerations for the children's cultural background and other identities are important. Cultural differences in how disability is understood and discussed may contribute to unique risks, experiences, and service needs. Ensure that the potential impacts of children's various identities are considered. Conclusion This article reviewed the existing literature on maltreatment of children who have disabilities. Rates of maltreatment among children with disabilities vary based on differing definitions of disability, different methods of sampling across studies, and by the type of maltreatment examined. However, research consistently finds that children with disabilities of all types are generally at an increased risk of experiencing maltreatment compared to their non-disabled peers. One important factor to consider when interpreting these findings is the issue of directionality. A disability may increase a child's risk of experiencing maltreatment, but a child may also present with a disability as a consequence of maltreatment. Consider especially children with mental health symptoms and or developmental delays.
Due to limitations in the methodologies of available research, researchers are not always able to decipher whether disability or maltreatment occurred first. Certain child and family characteristics and maltreatment factors are associated with maltreatment of children with disabilities and may affect the children's risks, experiences, or outcomes. Children with disabilities who experience maltreatment are more likely to also have functioning concerns separate from their primary disability, have caregivers with more complex risk factors, and to experience more prolonged and or more severe maltreatment than other children. Children with disabilities present unique challenges to the child welfare service system in terms of addressing their maltreatment and providing ongoing support. In order to address these needs, it has been recommended that child welfare workers consider collaborating with professionals who have specialized knowledge of child development and disabilities to adapt their assessment techniques and service approaches and to engage in critical thinking, self-reflection, and ongoing learning. You have been listening to the Parkcast series episode 59, Maltreatment and Child Welfare Involvement of Children with Disabilities. The Parkcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a Canadian membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information on today's episode or other episodes in the Parkcast series, please visit www.partcanada.org.